0: The Bund was more than a party. It was a set of moral principles, an ethic bound up with the Yiddish-speaking people of Poland. Polar Zion, for its part, connected the universalism of its struggle with the rather mystical vision of an Eretz Israel that would be red and socialist, which did not prevent it from fighting under the Tsarist Empire, then in Poland and the USSR. For a new order communism, from activism in the trade unions and the promotion of a secular and progressive Yiddish culture. It is, of course, possible, like Eli Wiesel, to see the commitment of all these Yiddish land revolutionaries as simply a transfer, or more precisely, a diversion, of Jewish faith and identity. You are a Jew first and foremost. It is as a Jew that you aid humanity which, when push comes to shove, will rediscover its tefillin. It is likewise possible to trace back to Abraham the territorial claims to Judea and Samaria, on condition of renouncing any principles of rational intelligibility in history, or surprise when the dark forces of history are unleashed on Sabra and Shatila. If we resist this dangerous mysticism we can only be struck by the strength and the universalist current that bore the positive forces of Yiddishland in the early part of the 20th century. How else to understand the way in which the militants of the Bund and Polar Zion were swept up in the great current of the Russian Revolution, set off by the events of October 1917? How to understand the enthusiasm that impelled many hundred workers from Yiddishland to join the international brigades in Spain? Did these commitments mean abandoning or rejecting Jewish identity? As maintained today by those who champion a return to real or imaginary ghettos, those who, playing dangerously with words, dare to write, assimilation is new genocide. In no way. If there is a chapter of the contemporary history of revolution in which the dialectic of the opening to universalism and the sense of Jewish identity is strikingly apparent, it is that of Spain. It was of course for the cause of humanity in the name of its positive values that these militants went to fight in a distant land but as we shall see from their interviews there was also for them in the war as another invisible and subjective front a separate challenge to show that the Jewish worker could fight and that he was no less courageous than the German or Polish brigadier. In short, that the atavistic prejudices were a lie. There is also, from this time, the famous episode of the Botwin Company. Our history's share of shadow has stretched over their struggle, muddied the tracks, diverted its ends. It has turned their hopes to derision and dismantled their convictions. Those who survive often share the sentiment of having been cheated more numerous still are those who were cheated in death. Yet their struggle was not a blind one, it was nourished by light, it sought to repel the shadow. Nor were they victims in the sense that a certain conception of history appoints the Jew as an eternal victim. It is only certain martyrologists who seek to dissolve the meaning of their combat even after the camps, the struggle of the Botwinists still had nothing in common with the actions of the leaders the Union Générale Israelites de France. Even after the camps, Rabbi Jacob Kaplan's friendship with Colonel de la Roque and his Croix de Faux remained different in kind from that between the Jewish communists in the 1930s Warsaw and their Polish comrades. The discourse of the State of Israel has sought at all costs to erase this boundary. It has largely succeeded and the union sacré around a general, a leader and certain symbols is the most valued fuel of Israeli politics. In the official history of Israel, its prehistory, the fighters of Yiddishland have no place. The red shadow of Yiddishland is a stain of infamy that has at any price To be eradicated rather in the way that photos were retouched in the stalin era in the eyes of the young sabras the survivors of this time seem figures led astray into derisory adventures it was against the traditions of this revolutionary movement against its utopia its history and its memory that the hebrew state was established along with its own founding myths As we have seen, the movement was internationalist, universalist, secular and progressive. Whereas Israel is separatist, chauvinist, clerical and conservative. The movement headed for a future of a better world, a more just and humane society. Israel has reinvented the ghetto and embedded itself in the irrational exaltation of a mythical past. It perceives its future only in the intoxication of its strength, its proud isolation defended by tanks and fighter planes. Yes, it has indeed reinvented Masada. It is only too understandable that institutional Zionism has stubbornly stifled the memory of this movement, that the school books of Israeli children are silent about the Bund and the commitment of Jewish fighters on the side of the Spanish Republic, that in Israel Yiddishland is buried in museums and the Yiddish language in libraries but the witnesses and actors who live in Israel are never called on to recount their struggles, but are even blamed for their history. In actual fact, the traces of this movement indicate sufficiently that the triumph of Zionism did not flow from the implacable logic of history, some kind of ontological necessity but was rather the product and avatar of the most irrational phase of our time. A reading of Revolutionary Yiddish by Alain Prossat and Sylvia Quimberg.
1: Eins, zwei, drei, vier, arbeitslose, das sind wir, ohne Hemd und ohne Dach. Die Straße ist das Schlafgemach, doch wir teilen was wir haben. Ist es aus dem Müll gegraben? Lasst den Bobos ihren Wein. Wasser schmeckt genauso fein. Wasser schmeckt genauso fein. Eins, zwei, drei, vier. Das sind wir, hackeln schwer bis zur Pension, nur für einen Hungerlohn. Häuser, Schlösser, ja ganze Länder, gehören der Klasse der Verschwender. Die sind nicht reicht um ihren Pflanz, sondern unserem Arbeitsschweiß, sondern unserem Arbeitsschweiß.
2: Welcome to "You Are Not Immune," a leftist podcast about praxis, propaganda, and spin. I am Spectra Spark. I am joined, as ever, by my friend and comrade MJC, and oh, we're okay. also we are also joined by a special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, hi, I am uh, Isabel Fry. Uh, I am a Yiddish singer and uh, social justice activist based in Vienna, and I sing Yiddish revolutionary and resistance songs on the streets or in concert or, yeah, sometimes in between. Um,
0: especially right now, right? Mm-hmm. Especially right now, right? In quarantine?
3: Uh, especially right now in quarantine. Now my street is sometimes was a Facebook live, live stream or something like that. But, uh, yeah, hopefully soon again on the street and in concert. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I I try to kind of revive this, um, this tradition of left-wing Jewish praxis, I would say. So I, t- I take songs from the Yiddish-speaking proletariat, like end of the 19th and beginning of 20th century, and um, yeah, try to do something with them today also. So not just like, I mean, the songs are great, but it's not just about finding these songs and making them live again, but it's also just about doing something with them today. So, yeah, sometimes maybe doing a little intro that speaks to people's life situations today or playing them at demonstrations or trying to make political connections with them.
0: Yes. So despite this um, gap in time, the messages that they um, uh, projected out are still as relevant uh, then as they are today, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say as relevant, like the, relevant in a different way, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, so like for me, I was surprised how relevant the messages were because, I mean, they're, they're really not so different. Like a lot of the songs, you know, there are a lot of work songs and, and there are a lot of anti-work songs where it's just people just just complaining about their their life as a worker
2: Mm. The eternal mood, it never dies. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. exactly. There's, a, like, a, the whole genre of, like, um, of, like, s- people in textile, textile workers, um, like sewer, uh, like people sewing, and especially women, women textile workers, um, complaining about how hard life is, how difficult life is. And, I mean, like... Well, first of all, sweatshops are not a thing of the past. They've just been outsourced to a different place in the world. But then also um, being like unhappy about um, working uh, well in our case nine to five job or 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 longer that also hasn't yeah. changed. So yeah, so yeah, people are still right? unhappy working. So that's <laughs> I think uh, yeah. And then there are also songs that acquire new meaning. So. Like, I also take the definition of revolutionary song to be quite wide. So some, sometimes I, I would take, for example, songs written, not as protest songs, but maybe in the Yiddish theater, when there was a big Yiddish theater scene also, especially in, in the US, in New York, for example. Um, and then there's one song, for example, which is from the Yiddish theater, but it's about rent. And I don't know, maybe it wasn't as relevant then, maybe it wasn't as political in the in the 20s when... when I don't know it was not the same renting situation I guess at the uh, on the lower east side it was still like a horrible housing situation but but different from like what people are facing today like young people living in cities being I don't know or people being gentrified out of their neighborhoods or yeah prices going really high and speculation um housing speculation happening so yeah, so yeah. the rent song is like it's very popular everyone loves it it's Called <laughs> um and i i think it's like it acquired new meaning because the situation today is different <laughs> yeah
2: the, the situation is different but the sort of the the thing that underpins the situation is very much still kind of the same thing yeah it's- you in a different way
3: but yeah, I, I'm using yeah. it a different way because it's not, it's like it was written for a theater where like a comedian would make fun of someone not paying rent. And today it's like, well, it's kind of a, a, a I, today I sing it in like a political, like as like a, a, a protest song. So kind of points to the fact that, um, yeah, about like the injustice of having to pay rent and otherwise you're evicted even if you can't afford it. So it's, it's also kind of, some songs are also a bit removed from their context and which is Yeah, which is also fun, a fun part of the work.
0: Yeah, I can imagine, yeah, transporting that to a new um, context, a new audience. um, And as you said, yeah, get uh, uh, original reactions from it as well.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, also getting like... um also having songs that that were meant in a really different context but like reinterpreted so I also like to take folk songs that were not necessarily written from a political angle and kind of politically interpreting them um for example also like popular love songs and then that used to just be popular love songs but if I look at them today from like a feminist perspective and like oh well this is kind of uh, an oppressive situation that's going on between these two people and it's kind of uh, yeah i don't know problematic a problematic power dynamic or like and then i can interpret it like from my perspective as like a 21st century feminist and refer to the me too movement and like kind of do something different with it so i really think it's right, about yes. yeah it's,
0: it's like a satire of um, yeah the um, the power as you said the power dynamics of um uh old style courting and sort of bringing them into a yeah critical light.
3: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
2: Heteronormativity is uh,
3: is is, is yes.
0: we, that for sure. We, we're, yeah.
3: we're
2: not we're not about that here.
0: No, absolutely not.
3: <laughs> and then the last last part of it is that also I think what's also important is that um, I mean most of the songs that I sing are worker songs, protest songs from from the beginning of the 20th century. But some, some songs that I sing are also more newly composed Yiddish songs. And so I, I think it's also really important to include that into my work, that it's not it's not a dead culture. It's like it's living. I mean, it's not obviously, like the majority of Yiddish speakers were, were murdered in the Holocaust, but that doesn't mean that the culture is, is dead. Um, and so it's kind of, I I yeah I also want to make a point of that there are people you know composing new yiddish songs and and experimenting what to do with the, with the music and and that's I, that's also a form of protest in itself it's really like
2: yeah that refusal to sort of be be quiet and yeah yeah yeah
3: yeah, yeah. and bury it as something from the past and
0: uh yeah it's antiquated yeah that's um yeah, it, as you say, uh, it, it's almost like the very existence of this um, art form is in itself an act of resistance, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I do feel, I do feel that way. And I, I mean, I'm not saying like any kind of Yiddish song is is like revolutionary. It really depends on the context. Um, like, I can also, you know, there's also a lot of kitsch out there, like the nostalgic kitsch about the the world before the Holocaust or something. And I, I'm sometimes not so sure whether that whether that really emancipates um yeah Jew, mm. Jewish existence in Europe today for example but but on the other hand i mean most like in general i do think there's something very um very emancipatory about singing yiddish songs yeah definitely
0: um so you you mentioned that um a big uh, inspiration for um, starting this um, this art project and um, your career as an artist would be the, um, uh, the Jewish uh, Labour Bund.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and if I was to um, ask you um, quite a sort of a hypothetical question, uh, what do you think has been the biggest impact of the historical uh, Jewish Labour Bund and what values do you think need to be brought back? Um, in a Europe of today,
3: yeah. I mean, so to be honest, I, I, I'm not like so familiar with e- exactly the the history of the Jewish Labor Bund in Europe that I can tell you exactly where and when it was, how strong. Like I, 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 I read about it, and I read, I read like testimonials from Bundists, and I, I read um, a lot of oral history, and also about like um people who were active in the bund and then became partisans and then maybe uh, fought in spain but it's hard to really like it's hard for me to zoom out and say like this was the impact that the bund had um i think it's hard for me because i'm a bit biased and i I, like i i think it was very impactful but then i know that sometimes this impact is a bit overstated and that sometimes um it's like in i think in in some places it was i mean it was one of the it, it was it was a very strong union but maybe as a political um force or party sometimes it was not it wasn't so strong um and, and it ended up kind of being being smashed also also by like the more um nationalist communist yeah. um movements yeah yeah and uh, and it and also um yeah and then obviously also through so like through through Stalinism through Nazism, but I mean already earlier like already earlier it was kind of becoming less um, less important. <laughs> um, I I know it had its like it's also its high times. Um, it definitely also had like a high a high time in like uh, the early twentieth century, and I think also like in the nineteen oh five revolution was also very strong, um, but. Yeah, like, and definitely like in yeah in 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 Russia, in Latvia, in Poland, these were like the strong, strong places of the Bund. Um, but so. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure I can really exactly say like this is what it it, it has impacted like on a on a macro level. What I what I think what I yeah. think the Bund really really did was that it it um, provided a a solution for um jewish workers yiddish speaking workers to be both communists and jewish at the same time and that that was i think really central because i mean if you were a a proletarian jew and and most jews were, were proletarian i mean either they were um yeah like in the villages but then when they moved to the cities and 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 they were proletarian and and you know you you could you could join a union a russian-speaking union or a polish-speaking union but it wasn't in 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 their language they were speaking yiddish right Right. so and we're also you know a lot of people came from a more traditional jewish background also and like not necessarily not necessarily religious like a lot of the people going into the cities were secular and there was like a generational conflict going on but at least they were um but they were jewish and they wanted to be jewish and the 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 only option that they, they had was for like joining um yeah a polish-speaking union for example that didn't really have a lot of space and also you know there was also anti-semitism so it wasn't there, it wasn't like, I mean, there were a lot of Jewish socialists who said like, you know, let's completely leave aside the Yiddish and, 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 and Judaism and let's just get together for the, for the, for the cause. But, for the cause, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they were just very assimilated, you know, that's, that's also a fine choice. That's also okay. That's a choice to make, to assimilate. Mm-hmm. But then they were still part of a, like a dominant culture, which in that case was then, then just like Russian speaking, for example.
0: Yeah, subsuming to the cultural hegemony. Yeah, right?
3: yeah, right. So there's not there's nothing. Nothing's culturally neutral, right? So then, then, that, and so the the option that that people had, where they could either join the so the the just the the communists in like of the various nationalities where they were living in, or the Zionists, which was different again, like the labor Zionists or the socialist Zionists, which were they were also communists, but they said basically, okay, we have to be Jewish nationalists and build our own state or build something that resembles a state. And in any case, we need to um, emigrate and 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 um, build a state in, in Palestine. And so the Bund really um, offered this, uh, well, <laughs> middle ground, but not really like, yeah, it was like a middle ground. It was like an, a, a way of, of being both. So of like being, um, being, Left-wing, being socialist, being communist, but also being Jewish, Yiddish-speaking, anti-fascist, being not not being proudly Jewish, but not nationalist.
0: Right. Yeah. The, these values aren't all um, contradictory. They can be harmonized, and that's what the Bund yeah, showed. Yeah. Yeah. They
3: and they're they're consistent, and that's what I I, th- I find so fascinating about it. Mm. It's like it's it's like it's completely consistent, whereas today can feel so inconsistent so difficult there's so it's so messy you know what's going on with with um yeah jewish identity in in europe today or like jew, yeah. jews as a minority in europe as opposed to like being played out against muslims and then it gets even messier when israel comes into the picture israel palestine so it's like it, it becomes really messy and and it becomes hard to be to be a lefty jew but then the bund really provides this like um yeah this this uh, vessel of being like okay it's 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 completely consistent it's a consistent position it was there before already and it was consistent um so i i think that's my interpretation of what what the bund what made the bund so also historically important and um unique in in that sense
2: it it sort of seems or it sounds as if it sort of provided a you know an outlet that that didn't really exist because I mean, I think I, I think the argument could be maybe made that um, more generally, there are uh, other groups as well that have not not so much a crisis of identity, but but don't have an outlet for their sort of uh, their uh, cultural self-understanding, as it were, that they can tie on to more left-wing perspectives. Yeah. Cultural autonomy. Think, yeah. 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 I, I. I. think that's probably a pretty good way of putting it. Um. And it's. It sounds like that the Bund at really acted as a. As a. a great way of, of. sort of meeting that. Uh, demand. Yeah. Sort of like. Well. You all know. We. We can. We can be this and this at the same time. They. You know. They're not exclusive.
4: Yeah. And I think.
2: Oh, that's interesting that it, they it, it's sort of taken on that aspect rather than rather than the other i suppose that is maybe quite again common uh, across a lot of different areas as well where it's sort of it's, it's not faux pas to call yourself you know sort of left wing or socialist or communist but uh it's just sort of like oh no one, no one wants to do it
3: mm-hmm.
2: i don't i don't know if that's maybe uh maybe drawing a conclusion that isn't there
3: no one wants because to do like the actual me. the actual work of like uh, unionizing you mean or
2: yeah um i mean from from that perspective certainly yeah yeah it, it, it's not tied to ma- material you know a
0: materialist um analysis at all it's just sort of you know, existence uh in a status quo yeah
3: may- maybe but i think it's also just from the fact that like yeah life life situations have really changed and also like the mm. neo-bundist movement is like it's not it's not a movement in, in a particular local place it's more like an idea <laughs> floating around and there are a few marginal people who 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 are into it and who are maybe internationally connected but it's not like it's not like you can go into a, a factory and and there you will have a lot of Yiddish speaking Jews who will you know think you have Rally great binders. ideas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's also just like material circumstances have also changed. Um so it's kind of like the the challenge of t- figuring out, um, also like figuring out. So that's kind of the the ideas that the Bund gives us, but it's also about figuring out. Okay, what kind of praxis does the Bund give us today? And that's mm. sometimes maybe a bit harder to to understand. <laughs> I think.
0: Yeah, it's a long conversation to have, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, we we've written down a list of questions. Okay, yeah, <laughs> We're, sure. <you> we know, <laughs> so, just sort of sorry. scrolling through no and thinking well, how could this what, what could flow into this one? Um You know what, I'll throw my obligatory one in there. Um so I've noticed in your videos um you sit down with your guitar in a classical position. Mm. Could you explain to me why that's the best position to hold a oh. guitar in? <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, I don't know. Someone once like I think when I was learning guitar and like starting to accompany myself someone recommended it to me and i i felt like it's i mean i'm really not a classical guitarist and i'm really not virtuoso at all also but i i I just felt like it it was easier to hold and easier to to play and for some reason i got very comfortable with the position and it's also nice not to have the legs crossed when singing but i've been more and more wary of the position (laughs) i think it doesn't Looks a bit stupid, it opens up your lungs, so, right?
0: If hmm? you if you have your legs open, it opens up your lungs as well, right?
3: Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just it's just it's just because it's uh, sometimes a bit more comfortable to sing.
0: Good. I'm yeah. so glad you mm-hmm. agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> you this also what do I really it? got you on here for. You also do it? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I just I, I've never been able to put it on my right knee. I always oh, like, feel yeah. like I'm stretching my wrist. No, I can't, I but like I, I, I also
3: never time. put it on my right knee, actually. So I really? even now, I, I just put it on my left knee, but I just, like, cross my legs or something like that. Mm. Yeah.
2: All, all the cool kids play guitar. I'm just over here <laughs> with a pen and some paper, you
3: know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of at a loss... Uh, MJC, I think we've, we've sort well, of covered yeah, it, all of the all kind, of the main points that it, we came up with. Well, yeah,
0: it kind of yeah your your nuanced answer, um, Isabel, just kind of like like tore through like three or four questions. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that was can, fantastic. You can ask right? them, and
3: um, I can I can go more into or yeah whatever. <laughs>
0: um, I think um one thing which um I was interested in um getting your perspective on was um uh, your time in a uh, kibbutzim. Mm-hmm. In um, Israel? Yeah. Um, How did that time, do you think, uh, shape your outlook and um, what became ultimately your social justice um, goals or interests um, as the years went on?
3: Yeah, um, it definitely, it definitely um, was definitely a really important time for me politically um, not because it inspired me so much, but more because it completely disillusioned me. Um, oh, really? I, yeah, yeah. So I used to be, I used to be also like in a in a socialist Zionist youth movement. Um, it's kind of like as a kid growing up. It's you know one of the few things in like a city like Vienna where there's a very small Jewish community, which like secular Jews can do to meet other secular Jews without going to the um, to the Jewish school, for example. So I, I, I spent a lot of time, um, there and, you know, got also like a full dose of Israeli nationalism there, but also a full dose of kind of being raised in like ideals of socialism. And, and the kibbutz for me was always like the this, this socialist utopia, you know? And, yeah. and I, I mean, I, I'd, I'd learned that like, it, it wasn't what it used to be and, uh, all that kind of stuff, but it wasn't until I actually moved there and started um, living there that I realized it was com- it was completely broken. I mean, the whole this whole dream had been shattered, but like you know, already decades ago. Um, it's I I'm the first kibbutz I moved to was a privatized kibbutz, so it was basically just like a, a village. The only no. thing that made still made it a kibbutz was just like the kibbutz infrastructure of like. There was a dining hall, for example, and it was privatized. And then we were, you know, had like one day. Um, it was just like one day per week working on the field there, and it was mm. really like like playing dress up. You know, it was so uncomfortable. We we're there and then spending the day, you know, painting the lemon yeah. trees to prevent them from uh, from like um, breaking from the heat. And there were the Thai workers there. Who were actually working there who did the work in like 10, 10 times as quickly and they had replaced the Palestinian workers who um, because the kibbutz was very close to the Gaza Strip so um, and before the siege Palestinian workers used to come there and do this very manual low-paid labor but since the siege they weren't able to come anymore either so then since then it's been like Thai guest workers. And I don't know, that was like the opposite of a socialist utopia.
2: Well, yeah, I mean it's it's not it's not too far removed from the sort of the the sort of worker exploitation on farm labor yeah. that sort of goes on now. Yeah, know? for yeah. sure.
3: Exactly. So that was that was very shocking. And then and then, you know, I, I mean it was a festival, so it was really not not officially socialist anymore either. But then I also moved to like a more socialist kibbutzim and even one that was still um still communal in the sense that everyone shared all their um no, not everyone shared all their money, but they did have a common um people didn't necessarily have money like themselves. So they would like they would get a um
2: like a community pot. Yeah, kind of, of. they had a big yeah. community
3: pot and also um would would like yeah, it, it it was basically there was just a lot of it was communal, and also the work was very communal. And I worked in the laundry room, and in the they had a cookie factory. <laughs> I worked in the cookie factory, and did all oh that kind God. of stuff. Um, and and the there the problem was more that I mean there were very few young people, and those that were there um, were incredibly right wing, like and really quite right. racist also. Um, And so it's like, it's like kind of, you know, even if they I mean, right wing in terms of in terms of not necessarily right wing in terms of like they weren't capitalist or anything. They didn't really care so much about socialism. But even more than that, I mean, it's just the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has also just poisoned the whole thing already, you know, because these these young people were just like they were just kind of there's just this level of casual racism among among people that w- that was really shocking to me, you know, it was it was again, like it was it was in the north. It was t- kind of close to the West Bank, and then just constant um, cursing on on the arabs and and just very ignorant. And I was really shocked by that. And also, that, you know, one of the the, the oldest pe- members of the kibbutz um was a partisan who had fought in the Warsaw ghetto uprising and and yeah. I, w- I met with her and it was amazing. And it was also yeah. incredible to hear her analysis of 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 the situation today and she was you know such such a sh- such a good like position of solidarity with Palestinians and kind of like this very consistent you know uh, former partisan fighter and today a left-wing israeli who's very critical of the government but the young people there really really didn't anymore and that also just kind of disillusioned me
0: um yeah you could feel the divide almost yeah yeah a generational divide
3: yeah and and then you know it was even more than just the kibbutzim like uh, when i was uh, spent that year in israel i visited the west bank for the first time and just that was really yeah a, a, really a turning point in my life um just kind of understanding that that not not because not because i saw anything so sh- so shocking or not because i like i saw Like violence of the occupation or something like that going on, but just because I understood that the story that I had been told all my life was just half the story or like not the, the not the full perspective not the full perspective. Yeah, what what was actually so? um, Maybe I'll 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 tell the story because this was actually what was so shocking to me when I. Came to the West Bank for the first time to Hebron, which is um one of the, it's the oldest settlements actually, one of the oldest settlements. Um and I was prepared like I was like preparing for like a day of, you know, I, I imagined this this town to be full with people in the streets and soldiers and, and Palestinians and settlers and everyone kind of being very close and it it kind of being a rough situation, you know? And yeah. I was prepared for like for like stress and and people and 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 that, kind of, that was the image that I had in my mind. And I came there, and it was completely empty. <laughs> it was like empty streets, everything locked down. And then they were like, yeah, this has been like... This was like in the year 2012. And they were like, yeah, this has been like this for, for 10 years, since 2002, since the second Intifada. And then this is... You know, we were standing on the main street of this village, and the, the, the street was shut down completely. And that was when I realized that I was living in a different time <laughs> in the different times the historical epoch and the same with the kibbutz you know like what we learned in vienna in the socialist so- socialist zionist youth movement about the kibbutz was from like 50 years ago and the same about what i knew about the israeli-palestinian conflict you know, i was kind of stuck in the 90s where there was still like a, pos- a peace process going on and and there, there was still kind of an an like a, an opportunity for for, yeah. for there to be peace. some kind of yeah, like like compromise. peace and justice and and compromise and somehow a turn for the better, you know, as problematic as, as aspects of the peace process were, but I was stuck in the wrong time. And and that's something I think that has stuck with me. That I, I, I feel like I'm I'm one of the only people also from my, my friends who 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 were in the movement with me in Vienna, who actually p- lived there, and then also you know visited the West Bank, and I keep telling people like you're you're stuck in, in in the wrong like thirty years earlier, you know, when you think like all all the other Arab countries they all hate Israel. It's it's not true anymore. All the Arab oh. countries surrounding are are you know. The Arab Spring happened, and they're all—they feel like they're failed states, and they're, they're but they're, they are they dictators. But they—they don't care about. It's—it's—it's like, it's, it's just like a wrong time frame. And to, today, I mean, what's going on today now with the annexation? It makes it really obvious, you know. We're like it couldn't be farther away from any kind of peace process or from any kind of like two-state dream. So, I think that's that's really when I when I realized that. That not only was it not the that not the whole story, but I just really had to completely rewrite everything that I knew about it, and with it also, and that was the painful process. With it also, everything that I knew about what it means to be Jewish today, secular Jewish, in in the diaspora, and that that was kind of how I got into Yiddish uh, Yiddish music, where Yiddish music really saved me, because that's a painful process. Yeah,
0: I see. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been a really confronting um you said it was like a year, right?
3: It was a year, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was confronting. Luckily I did it with a group and and a lot of us we were, you know, c- critical and kind of thinking for ourselves and we all had similar processes definitely. Um so so that was definitely good. And then after that I I moved to Amsterdam and that's when I when I really got very politicized but that's where I, a lot of the the thinking work afterwards still happened. You know, rethinking my relationship to to Zionism and to Judaism and to my community and.
2: Uh... Um. So we we tend to talk quite a lot about um, propaganda and the way things are framed um, in sort of sort of the past episodes that we've done, Isabel. Um. So, so what you, the story you just told us there was pretty heart heart-wrenching i can only imagine um how do you like do you feel that that effective kind of not not necessarily propagandizing but this sort of uh using sort of a, a time delay effectively say oh this is yeah. what's going on now and then sticking to to, it. Yeah. do you do you feel that that is uh is sort of more broadly applicable in other circumstances as well like uh, like from from because you've sort of lived that experience have you sort of noticed that elsewhere as well uh, with regards to other like other contemporary issues or
3: yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to think now when but i remember having had like oh wow i recognize this time delay i think mm-hmm. it's it happens uh, um, sometimes a bit with like um yeah i think it happens a bit like in in left-wing movements today that that somehow still think we're in the 70s like i don't know chasing like this this dream of 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 the 70s of like a time when supposedly you know the golden age of of a more left-wing social democracy um and also kind of this idea of like a golden age of multiculturalism and and, in holland that's quite strong actually um, but I, I think these are more just like romantic ideals in the past. I'm not sure if it's the same dynamic going on. When is the ah yeah? I mean, I, but I do I do think actually it's what what like right wing nationalist movements also do when they pretend as if like when 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 they frame you know the issue of like basically talking about that. Our democracies have become like we live in multicultural societies, right? And they frame it as if it's like a new thing, as if these people have just come and and can still be sent home, and like Like no, these are like like third, fourth generation, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like whatever, like like third, fourth generation Turkish Germans or something. It's not a, a question of like. Yeah. So, or or even you know tied tied hand in hand with like this historical amnesia of forgetting the kind of the colonial past and and not even realizing how how the fact that people from like former colonies live there now the, how that's tied to colonialism how it's like saying go back to your own country is not um...
2: uh, yeah well yeah I mean we've seen so much of that in the UK over yeah, the last few years I can holy uh, shit <laughs> with just all of the things that have happened it, it feels like over the course of 10 years but i'm sure it's about four um but yeah i mean certainly the sort of accusations that have been long running of going oh well you know the left has destroyed the uk with multiculturalism it's like i'm, I'm sorry but you know where have you been for the last yeah. 30 40 years yeah. like yeah this is this they is were not... always here yeah it's no, just that you didn't even new. bother to look at them yeah yeah um and, and more recently with the uh uh, Windrush generation, the whole Windrush scandal as well, and just a further example of that, I think that's that's a really good way of, of sort of, of putting it. Well. I hadn't even really considered that that that's how it sort of ties into it, but yeah, that's...
3: I had one more example now that I thought of, which was the climate um, climate justice movement. I mean, I think that's a lot of what's going on, is that people from the climate justice movement are saying, like, okay, it's already, like, you know, we're actually already past the point where, where we can really... Um, where we can really prevent climate change, but but we you know we're at a point now where where change needs to happen now, and and you know people from like big industry or like the political leaders are pretending as if we're you know in the eighties where there was the actually still yeah. yeah as if it's something new as if it's something where you know we can slowly adjust to it. So I think that's also there's like um yeah there's a there's a clash between people different living in different. Time zones almost going on there as well, and that makes it very hard to to reconcile or find any ground.
1: I, I think. Yeah.
2: I, I think. I mean, sorry, with 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 regards to the climate change thing. So that that's my kind of that's like my 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 <laughs> area all. of expertise. Yeah. <laughs> like, the wheelhouse. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think with climate change, especially, there's this sort of. Um, almost like public consciousness of forever solving the problem and then that and then it was done like so, in the the late eighty the the late eighties, it was um, sort of the, the the huge move to introduce um, like recycling and reduce landfill waste, and then the like the what the landfill acts of like the nineties came in, and that was it. Climate change was solved, mm-hmm. and then you know in the in the late nineties it was like oh well we need to really start you know phasing out CFCs and getting rid of all these other things that you know we we need to start considering removing removing lead from petrol, and then that happened, and then climate change was solved again. <laughs> <laughs> and it just seems to be this this endless, like, people taking all these steps and the people who were, uh, I don't want to use the word radicalized, but, pe- but people who became really aware of a problem, a very specific problem to do with a much broader problem, had that problem dealt with and then sort of seems to have almost like collectively forgotten. But if you go back and ask those same people, so, yeah, you know, but both of my parents are sort of in their 50s, getting into their 60s, and... Um, you ask them, and the, you sort of talk to them about climate change, and, and their response is like, well, "We were being told about this when we were kids." Like, yeah, because <laughs> nothing's really changed yeah. that much. Right. Like, some things have, but th- there does sort of seem to be this collective willingness uh, to, like, uh, sort of a social amnesia that we we've already had these arguments. Like, we we can't keep having the same arguments, you know?
0: Yeah, spin the yeah. Mix it up a bit with, with the arguments because they they're not effective. Clearly.
2: Yeah, funny that. Yeah, that's my that's my five minute contribution. <laughs> well,
0: you you didn't go full uh, Duma mode this time. So no, like, I know. Well, I've, I've been
2: I've been I've been looking <laughs> a lot more into like the background of uh, that particular author, and I'm I'm a lot more skeptical about their work. So,
0: <laughs> oh, who was this again?
2: Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. Jim Bendel. Uh. Jim yeah. We can. We can go over him in another episode. Sorry, I've, I've just taken us completely off track. Oh. <laughs> no, it's a
3: really cool point. Yeah. Um, I think.
2: I would like to ask. Um,
0: it it doesn't appear much in the news anymore. Um, but seeing as Austria, uh, is. Well, used to be for a year um sort of the the the, the flash in the pan for um quote-unquote right-wing populism um what is the current situation because i know about the the ibiza scandal yeah. and i know that the essentially what well, would the fascist party um was ousted um but from my understanding that the chancellor from that fascist party is now with the, um, what is it, the center-right party now? What's going, What's going on? on no. is oh, right. <laughs> okay, so
3: so yeah, the, the coalition, the right-wing coalition, which was between the conservatives and the right-wing nationalists, which are, by, by the way... Whose party are descendants of like the former Nazi collaborator party? Yeah. So it's um, oh good. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I mean, they
3: they 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 had a phase where they were you know not uh, not so right wing, but then in the like after <laughs> in the in this in the um, yeah the, like after the war they had a phase of being left less right wing, but then especially since like the two thousands they they became. Um, or like in the 90s they became very right-wing nationalist ethno-nationalist again um and yeah i mean they've they've been really uh growing a lot over the past decades taking a lot of votes from also for, yeah from the social democrats also um also from the conservatives i mean a lot of you know disillusioned also um disillusioned people angry at, at the way things run but um, and then they got into coalition with the conservatives and this was the first uh, this was not the first time this already happened in 2000 where you had the same <laughs> the same right-wing coalition um, and it was it was there for about one year and then the Ibiza scandal happened with this video being um, suddenly showing up that investigative journalists leaked of the should I tell the story, or should I just say what's going on nope, today? Nope, yeah, okay. no, yeah. Sure. so yeah. of like um of showing the the head of the of the party who was also the vice chancellor um with with the the other with another head figure of the party um in conversation with a supposed Russian oligarch, but it was actually a whole, like a trap um, saying, you know, kind of trying to make a deal to to sell um. Austria's biggest tabloid newspaper to them to get their party being pushed so like like huge corruption um like very corrupt deals being mentioned in this video also mentioning the names of like big industry people who supposedly give money to their party and to the conservative party and kind of referring to the way how that's possible you know how they how the oligarchs could could give them money but without it having to show up in any official Documents. So like it was very, um, yeah, you know, because they were drunk and and and, 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 and secretly, yeah, secretly filmed. So. so the
0: crimes we're going to do. Tell me more about <laughs> yeah. these crimes we're going to do. Yeah,
3: I mean, and the crazy thing was that the the even scandal. I mean, it broke the coalition, but it didn't actually hurt the party so much yet. So the the leader Hatze Strache, he was yeah, still the staying leader of the party. <laughs> And, you know, the, there was the <laughs> European election a week later and they didn't actually lose so much to the, the last European elections. Um, it was very surprising and frustrating. and it, And, you know, they had this whole discourse of like, it was all a trap, and so it was all, you know, manipulative. And they even came out with, like, it was the Mossad. it was, like, unbelievable, like, unbelievable was happening.
0: Are you fucking but, kidding?
3: But then there that was, the yeah. the yeah, Mossad? No, I mean, not officially, but, like, some people from the party were saying that, yeah. It's like...
0: Or George you know, Soros or something. Yeah, yeah, I like mean, <laughs> like, uh, I'm for
3: yeah. sure there was... A, yeah, it was full with conspiracy theories. But then... All um, these bad things we yeah. did
2: actually weren't us. Yeah. They were, we were set up, honestly.
3: But what also My happened My Facebook was, account was hacked. <laughs> He also had like just a lot of enemies in the party and then suddenly things were leaked about how he had um, basically bought a lot of private stuff for himself privately through money from the party, so through taxpayers' money. And they were ridiculous things, you know, he was like paying for his luxury apartment and for his wife who was also in the party for her like 5,000 euro handbags and <laughs> And now, like a few weeks ago, it even like the the title page of one of the tabloid papers was that he even used used it to pay for Viagra, and it's like so it was like really like oh a lot God. of, you know, yeah, stuff that made made a lot of people also angry. A lot of a lot of his voters also quite angry. Um, so that that was actually really what what brought him down and got him kicked out of the party, and and that's what really brought now the party down as well i mean it's really in a in a very weak place right now um and and so what what happened then there were new elections and the the coalition that formed is now a conservative green coalition and the greens were the the in the previous elections they were kicked out of parliament mm-hmm. because they were so low <laughs> they, they had like under 4% so they they were out of parliament and And then, in the next elections, they got i think like fourteen percent or i I don't remember exactly how much but but like the you know back into parliament and into the government so um yeah, so basically they've they've been in coalition with with the conservatives, but it's a very it's a definitely a more conservative coalition with a very light green touch green 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 not fascism. even very well green i mean like the you know green voters are also very angry at the at the green party at the moment oh because there's God. just it's just they're just pushing I, through uh, with like with like yeah bad bad like horrible anti-social policy i mean even like like last week they yeah they were like against um raising on un- they, they you know they wanted to get uh they said they were going to raise unemployment benefits especially now in times of corona and they ended up um giving like a, a one time payment of 450 euro and that's it but then but then with like the with like the whole taxpayer reform that's going through in the government as well it's like actually just like middle and high incomes are benefiting so it's it's kind of like it, yeah it's it's like in terms of social policy it's a disaster what's going on right now um it's just not as as horrible as it used to be because there are no no like explicit fascists sitting in government anymore but it's yeah
2: well i i honestly don't understand like why these sort of more uh, quote-unquote sort of liberal parties just don't realize like how much they're they're going to suffer from doing this politically like so to the green liberals well yeah, I mean so we yeah. had we mm. had the um the coalition government between the the Liberal Democrats and the Conservatives in the UK and it just destroyed the Liberal Democrats. Yeah. Like,
4: yeah.
0: Wipes them off the face of the earth, yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: like basically. oh well, you know, 20,000 people may have died because we propped up a government which rolled back dis- disability living allowance, well, but at least we have no, a 5p mate, carrier bag charge now, you 200, know. Well, wow, yeah.
4: 2
2: 200, 200,000, sorry, I beg
0: your pardon. Yeah, 200,000, yeah, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It just goes to show that, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, not to be a doomer again, but I think perhaps electoralism might be uh, in the death throes.
3: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's like here definitely. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the Green um, election campaign was definitely... Um, it was a good campaign. It was giving people hope. You know, I, I'm very personally very skeptical of electoral politics, but it, even you know, it, ca- it caught me a bit. This wave of like, oh yeah, that's kind of uh, you know a nice campaign with a lot of left wing uh, demands. But then, yeah, you know, I, I, so I wasn't you involved enough to, to be really disappointed. But I, I can see how you know <laughs> it just it keeps happening. It keeps happening, no matter. That's you. that's probably yeah. the yeah. correct way to yeah. be. To be honest with you, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, no, don't don't get don't get.
2: Don't we get attached.
3: So. Don't get don't get attached. Otherwise, you'll just get disappointed all the time. <laughs> Better to be a disillusioned <laughs> that's, that's, that's disillusioned. That's a message leslie. I can get behind.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> think of it like a horse race. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a yeah. horse race which has disastrous uh, disastrous consequences.
3: <laughs> but what I I mean what I oh so what I forgot to say no there's this whole this other disaster going on so the bigger disaster is that the Conservative Party is really strong right now. Um, used to almost you know it was almost gone it would have been so amazing it was almost gone and then kurz came who's this you know very young charismatic yeah, the, the young leader but very like a right-wing hardliner you know also ethno-nationalist but in a very subtle way um, so mm, even great. more uh, yeah in some ways even more dangerous and also very young and right. he brought his own whole new people and i mean I think what like there, there are two things happening. I think the one thing that, that I, I think is very shocking is that you have these all these new politicians who were all rhetorically trained by like the same people, and they've been basically rhetoric. I mean, you know how politicians never answer questions anyway, right? Mm, but yeah. they no, have been rhetorically not. trained to absolutely perfect this to an extent that you cannot hold them accountable for anything. They are able to completely spin it again. So like yeah, it's unbelievable. I I don't even know how to describe it to to people. I just have to watch interviews or like the news. But they're they're all they speak in the same way and they no matter how directly they're being confronted with a a very, you know, big charge I have Um, been very clear that I am
2: of the position that my party will maybe, possibly, maybe have an interview about about doing something something.
3: completely else. And then the other thing that's been going on is that there there are these big um, investigations going on now about Ibiza, about these corruption charges, Mm -hmm. and the people who are in charge of the investigation are also very close to this party. So the whole investigation is kind of a fraud or like more of that is like coming out now how how fraud this investigation actually is um so this makes it complete like it's 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 been a mess i don't even know how to describe it also now because it's like a it's i don't even completely understand the situation but for example the video is like the head of the of the of the commission has this video but will refuse to show it to the people sitting in like the investigative committee and it's like it's really you know dirty stuff going on at the moment Um, so, you know, I keep hoping like, ah, please, this all has to, because in the video they also, you know, the, the vice chancellor at the time, no, he wasn't vice chancellor at the time, but, but the leader of the right-wing party, H.C. Strache, was also alluding to the fact that, that the conservative party was also involved in, in corruption. So, yeah. Didn't go (laughs) so
0: far as to explicitly state it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully maybe at some point in like the next, Yeah. Five Ten years. years? <laughs> There's going to be a huge corruption scandal uh, that's going to be uh, revealed in Austria. Hope that will might bring down the party, but maybe not. Maybe we'll never. Maybe we'll never actually find out the truth, and it's just yeah.
2: Well, I mean, if if Austria is anything even remotely more functionally as a society than the UK, then you know they'll at least let this like constantly be an issue and use that to their advantage because i mean the same thing happened countless times in the uk and everyone's just like yeah well yeah that's what the conservatives are like what do you want you know (laughs) that that they'll they'll do what they'll do it's fine we'll all forget about it
0: yeah (laughs) what um what uh campaigns have you um been involved in uh before this uh horrendous apocalyptic time of Mm -hmm. uh covid19
3: I think, like in in Vienna, I haven't been so organized in like a particular group. I mean, I was very um, when I was living in Amsterdam, where I was also, um, like, oh, yeah. living living in Amsterdam, then back in Vienna, then back to Amsterdam. <laughs> then I, there, there, I was involved more in like organized organized groups, so like the like student movement, big student protests in two thousand fifteen, and. Um, squatters movement and the anti-racist movement so like movement against apartheid and parts of parts of like the, so the, these kind of things and then here it's been more of like more loose so i've just been um i i was kind of uh yeah going a lot with like the 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 protest against the right wing um co- coalition um, where I was also singing Yiddish revolutionary songs, which was really fun. And then yeah, I mean, kind of kind of loosely con- connected to that. I've just been mostly attending events, so I haven't really been taking on an organizing function. Although I've also been trying to organize my o- own collective um of like of of yeah, kind of, of like left-wing diasporous Jews like me. <laughs> and um doing that in This Indiana. sounds like a plugging moment. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> this,
2: this this sounds very cool.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 cool. Although it it's a bit it it worked out a bit um different than like my my other political work. I think it's um it's like we're such a small group of people that it's not really it's it's not really about like <laughs> having like a collective and and a you know like a collective and a name and a and a and a structure and kind of doing doing actions or something it's not really there yet that would be my dream <laughs> but then also kind of like to have a community but I think for now it's it's been more like a like a, um, like a social yeah, group like a rest. social group yeah and more or less like very basic yeah doing just very basic I guess consciousness raising you know just kind of like <laughs> talking about mm. our experiences and I think the needs are more on that level right now because because this whole like diasporist or like neo Bundism or something it, it's not like an actual written out you know it's not like you can have you have a lot of books about it or it's like a common position to have so it's it's I think it's more just like finding like minded yeah Jews who also feel marginalized from their own community but then and share ideal ideas also about like um, social, justice. social justice and socialism and, and kind building, of a critique yeah. of the state and of like um, you know anti-racism feminism these kind of things and then yeah. just kind of talking about our experiences and and uh, getting to know each other and yeah I think for me it was also just part of realizing that you know, I'm. I'm like. I. You know, I'm. I'm like the kind of activist who's like, okay, I want this to be like a a collective with, a, a, you know, a, at least like a, a maybe not a website, but like at least like a name and like a manifesto. <laughs> and at that least kind of some stuff. merchandise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least some acts we can sell. <laughs> at least <laughs> something, and like to be like, yeah, this type of organizing that I know, but then realizing now it's not really. That's that's not really serving anyone right now. Um, it's it's for now just kind of yeah maybe maybe that will happen at some point or maybe in a in a different in a different community where there are more people or maybe yeah i don't know depending on what what happens but i mean i i i like i like having this like since you know i think we started about like a year and a half ago or something um and and yeah i keep finding people who who fit in to join. So it's it's kind of nice to see how like in the beginning it was really just like I had the idea and it was just me. I was like, "Oh, how do I find anyone? <laughs> like is there anyone?" Mm. And then like slowly, you know, one or two people come. And I th- I think the reason is really because it's very hard to find people who are who are not who don't have really bad politics on Israel. I think that's the main divisive mm. issue. Um, yeah. And I, I think yeah.
0: it's, it's almost like weird. um in the current age as an atomized and you know sort of you know alienated individual it's almost like learning a new language to sort of develop um a community right mm-hmm. it's almost yeah. like you know, you especially in right now in uh, self-isolation times you You really start to feel like, oh shit, no, like there is no community net for this right now. And so, first you've got to focus on that. And then you can start to move on to something more material after.
3: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so, definitely. And then it comes, you know, it's also like a lot of people from the group, it's just like material circumstance. A lot of them have small kids. Um, It's a very bad, bad time to to organize, politically organize. (laughs) Um, And, and, yeah so there are, like these circumstances that that just made me feel a bit more like okay maybe I just have to like uh, ha- yeah change my expectations a bit and just kind of be happy right now that I that that I do have a a bit of a community now which is really really nice and special um yeah, that in and itself it just, is an achievement, Just here, right? yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I have it here, but I also internationally, I, I have it as well. And and that was really cool during the lockdown. I mean, you know, I am I'm, I'm I'm friends with. I don't know if you know, you know, Judas in the UK
0: uh judas in the uk Uh, they're like this jewish
3: anarchist collective oh they're very fun (laughs) they're like really yeah oh you should check them them out oh they're great they're great they're like they're like jewish anarchists kind of also like diasporist or like anti-zionist or whatever non-zionist um they're funny they made the headlines of the daily mail i think Oh, when God. Jeremy Corbyn well, I mean, you know order. it's good when yeah. Jeremy Corbin attended their passover seder and there was like this right wing undercover journalist there and then and then i think the headline was something like um they they shouted fuck the queen and <laughs> and uh, fuck queen uh, fuck prince philip and and <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn was there you know wow. the, i think people were most offended by like the by like the the anti queen stuff but then also i think yeah, I'll, yeah no i think like they they held up like a beetroot you know they they do the kind of like passover Satyrs very very what innovative innovative for lefty Jews. <laughs> so they held up like a you know passover is like the you, you know passover like the holiday yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah, so it's like a holiday about liberation. So it's like the, the best, it's like the favorite holiday for lefties. They they go all out yeah. on it. Um, and so they organized Passover Seder also with like a beetroot, holding a beetroot in the air and like an anti-capitalist <laughs> beetroot and <laughs> chanting for the <like laughs> end of capitalism and stuff like that. And Jeremy Corbyn was there and I mean he was invited because like a lot of people organizing in Judas were labor also like were, were Corbynites. Um, of course. And yeah, it, and, yeah oh, so it was like really, but then, and, and it was like amidst kind of also one of the times in this like anti Semitism scandal. And mm-hmm. it was interesting because the Jewish community responded by saying, see, this is another proof of why Corbyn is anti Semitic. And, and that was actually, I mean, that showed how like, how the Jewish community. Like the or at least the people speaking in charge of the Jewish community were also were like playing also playing this game of like the good Jews and the bad Jews you know which is kind of an anti-Semitic discourse being like oh no these were the wrong kind of Jews (laughs) because they're because of their Israel politics again it was mostly about that I mean also because they're left they're lefty but also because of their their Israel politics so it was seen as like another proof that he's anti-Semitic but I mean it also I think it was one of the, the things that you know. If anything, it made Corbin a bit more likable. I don't know, in also among Jews, maybe. <laughs> I don't know, but Judas is really fun, and like you know, I, I was I was involved with with Judas. Not I never lived in the U uh, in London, but I I or, organized um, something um, with people from Judas, which is called Birth Wrong. Um, birth, oh, birth wrong, ah. yeah, because like, so you okay. know, you know, well. birth <laughs> It's like this, you know, the tendai propaganda trip to Israel, financed yeah. by the right wing. What's his name is Sheldon Adelson, this right wing millionaire, yeah, billionaire. Sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and so they organized like Birth Wrong is like the diasporist alternative to birthright. Oh my god! Um, that is so I, epic! What? It's amazing. So yeah, cool. and I, I that's how I got in, in um in like uh to, into organizing with Judas was because I attended Birth Wrong Marseille, and this was my first, you know, entering into this world of of yeah, Jewish diasporism. And also of Yiddish. I mean, you know, I, I came there and and i I'd, I'd been already singing some Yiddish songs with mostly with myself. <laughs> and then I joined this 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 group. You know, we were in Marseille and, and learning there about like Lefty history and meeting, um, meeting visiting a, a show there and then also meeting you know like the, the Jews for Justice in Palestine there and like you know doing different different things holding a workshop on that, how to. Uh, criticize Israel without being anti-Semitic and like so interesting marched in May Day it was a great great program and then people were there and they were all like you know they all knew all the Yiddish songs also and and all the socialist songs and this is like yeah first entering into this world of like oh this actually does exist somewhere in like an well it's I mean it's just, like a dispersed community or maybe it exists in London but um yeah, it was great for me, and then I organized it again. Uh, in I organized Berthrong a year later, or like one and a half years later in Amsterdam. Oh, um, oh my goodness! So that I mean, was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that was some cool work. And I'm still, I mean, I'm still in contact with people from Judas, and like if they're you know now during the lockdown, there was some stuff going on, some like webinars <laughs> or like not webinars, but like Zoom Zoom chats and stuff like that. So that was that was definitely cool. So I also felt connected to to social movements that were you know not just in vienna which also felt great
0: yeah it's a considerably small audience in vienna i can imagine
3: (laughs) yeah yeah it is yeah yeah and i think it's yeah especially in this world it's kind of like yeah it's definitely also it's also like an international kind of movement (laughs)
2: Going back, um, sorry. Going going back to um, just a moment ago, where you were sort of saying you, you you've started setting up this sort of uh, a group of creating awareness, basically. Um, what what would you say is like the, the biggest lesson you've learned uh, in in that kind of process, or, or like the, the 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 one thing that you would say uh, recommend to someone else trying to start up another. Um, trying to start up a similar group to raise uh, consciousness yeah you know, how what what kind of takeaway would you give
3: yeah good question I think it's um, it's really about yeah what I said earlier kind of and I said adjusting expectations but it's more than that it's more also just like questioning assumptions about what activism is <laughs> and what activism does um, because I think like, for me, I, I really had to realize that um, that in order to build a collective, you actually yeah you actually need a, a collective. You know, it's not enough to just get a group of people together and then just talk about something. Like you actually need to build social ties between each other. And I think it, it becomes political politically meaningful work if kind of these boundaries between the yeah I guess kind of like the public and the private or like the you know our political selves and our personal selves if these boundaries kind of um dissolve, and that's kind of the point of consciousness mm. raising also right that's why like your mm. your you your personal experiences flow into a political analysis um and then feedback into it so it's so yeah I think um for me, this was definitely a, a process that I learned a lot um, in questioning my assumptions of that it's not only activism if you like meet once a week and you have a meeting and then you take minutes and then you you know like this whole practice that i'm'm I'm, I'm used to kind of in a way, from other movements. Um, where I also you know, I saw a lot of I saw a lot of collectives to solve also and not work and fight and yeah so like it's it's not it's definitely not like the only right way and i think yeah i don't know you do you know the text give up activism
0: uh no no. oh it's a great
3: essay it's a really good essay i think it's from like it refers to the i think like the alter globalization movement or I don't know exactly, but I think like you know, like the early two thousands type of like anti globalization movement. um, and I th- I think it's like on on Libcom dot com or yeah. something like that, or mm. it's like a zine, yeah. But it's a good it's a good text and it's an interesting thought. It's kind of talking against this like activist mentality, and how it's, and it's it's something I've been I've been thinking about a lot actually, um, also from my own experiences, um. Being very politically active as in like the, the classical sense in Amsterdam, where I was really involved with a lot of different collectives and, and social movements. And I saw a lot of people around me also getting burnouts. And I was like so puzzled by this. Like, how can this be? How can like people, anti-capitalist activists, get burnouts? Which is like the, you know, it's like the the capitalist illness. <laughs> Of like working so much like how 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 are we so good at self exploiting and and like what what are we doing then and it's it's kind of like me think that there's there's something about this certain i guess act- which i would call like the activist mentality which which doesn't really which kind of just takes it as like another job or kind of alienates alienates mm. political activity from um like I th- a I think there's,
2: realm. Yeah. I was going to say I think there seems to be a uh, a tendency for a lot of people to, to be very very passionate about but about their activism which is of course is is nothing wrong but yeah that you do sort of see people getting really burnt out and you almost want to say to them like, if you're burnt out, then then you're not helping your own activism. No,
3: no, you're not, um, and nothing is, nothing is, no one is helped by you. sacrifice, I really see like this logic of self-sacrifice, mm, and that doesn't really work because I mean, you know, capitalism wants to destroy. Also, like, there's this there's this dynamic in capitalism that wants to destroy, like the individual body and psyche also you know it also wants to rebuild it and also wants to keep it working but it also kind of wants to destroy uh, us and then it it
2: wants to sort of crush your autonomy yeah keep your keep keep your your body your your, your (laughs)
3: physical your bodily functions yeah really like you're really not helping if you're you know sacrificing yourself for like a a higher cause but then making yourself and the people around you miserable like it requires I, i don't know political work requires you and everyone around you to be healthy in that sense, like in, or like, you know, I don't know to be well, not healthy. It's not the right word, but like, well, or like be, yeah. um, and that's like the, the, the most important thing is like to take, take, yeah, that's why like this kind of like work of taking care of one another is like, yeah, so central to, to political practices also. And I, I, I saw a lot of that missing also, I think in my, in my, um, previous experiences of like more maybe traditionally organized political collectives, um, and this is kind of what I realized now in 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 starting this collective that I was like at first I was like disappointed that why is this not working the way I'm I'm used to and on the other end I realized oh well but it's also you know it's there's also there there is stuff happening it's just the stuff in, happening on a different layer, yeah.
2: That's a really good way of looking at oh it. My goodness.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's like it. It's like you've you've ground up like um, a th- a theory book into like an injection and just shoved
2: it in my veins. That was so <laughs> like amazingly well put.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be said for um, sort of small time. I say small time, sort of small time activism um, and like consciousness raising. In, in uh, and I think I think we've certainly seen a lot more of that more broadly across, um, especially the earlier parts of lockdown, where people were just like, "Hey, look, you know, just you know, go check on your neighbour, make sure aid. they're okay." Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah there is a lot of that, and I, I think a lot of people are starting to realise that you, you know, it doesn't have to be your hill to die on, but you know, you should sort of make sure you are doing okay as well, because if you are not, then the wider movement isn't, you know the The chain is only as strong as its weakest link, kind of thing. Okay. MJC, yeah. do you have any, anything else? I, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm,
0: I'm I'm out. So, you you mentioned um quite a while back um <laughs> about um goodness um like uh how um the uh you know the the the, the treatment and the political outlook of um uh sorry or rather you know trying to trying to get this uh, straightened out in ta- my head take
2: take take your time Yeah, it's all right um hmm.
0: yeah okay i think i've got it um you mentioned how uh uh political uh movements or um political parties um are often essentialized uh by their um Uh, political position to um, Israel and um, how that is sort of the uh, acid test for whether a party can be considered um, acceptable in a way. Um, But I've noticed, especially in Europe, that the far-right and pretty much overtly anti-Semitic parties as well, such as, um, you know, Orbán's party... um, the uh, what's it called? The Estonian People's Party, who are uh, flat out neo-Nazis, um, uh, or even F.A.D. in um, in the Netherlands, uh, they often tout their um, pro-Israel stance as sort of a, a a shield against this sort of criticism, um, and. What do you think? What strategies do you think we could employ to sort of decouple this idea of okay, just because you're pro-Israel does not necessarily mean that you are, um, you know, morally acceptable.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's that's yeah, that's a great question. Um, that's something I I struggle with a lot as well. Yeah. Um, how are we going to keep the Nazis out? Is, like is basically of, what I'm asking. Sorry, say it again. What how?
0: How are we gonna kick the Nazis out is basically yeah. what? I'm yeah, asking. yeah. No,
3: yeah. I, I really think about that a lot as well. Um, I think the main challenge is to decouple anti-Semitism from anti-Zionism. Um, and I think that's like that's one of the things that's been happening over like over the past years especially is this increased conflation between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. Um, it's very like a, a very bad dynamic on different layers. On, on one layer, it means that people have a very bad analysis of antisemitism. Basically, no analysis of antisemitism. Okay. Like also, also lefties don't. But also, like right-wing people don't. Like we're, you know, I'm lacking. This is what I'm trying to like with with them people in in my collective. We're we're trying to like understand this dynamic better. You know. um and it's also because because basically anti-Semitism is just being equated with being anti-Israel today, um, increasingly, and this is something that plays into the hands of um, of the the right wing of the Israeli right wing, mm-hmm. but also of like yeah. of the, the non-Jewish um, right wing. So like yeah, the the ethno-nationalists. Uh, Right wing, that like right wing populist parties in in Europe. Um, it it plays into their hand because they they their admiration for Israel is completely genuine. I I'm sure of that, because Israel is exactly what they would like their countries to look like. I mean, yeah, Israel eth- is like yeah, it is an ethnostate, and and you know that's why like Orban you know that's why it's consistent that Orban is meeting his buddies with Netanyahu is like meeting Netanyahu and 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 exchanging ideas and they have good diplomatic relations and at the same time mm. is running an anti-semitic campaign against George Soros it's completely yes, consistent exactly yeah it's it's like whiplash of the mind. It's yeah. so all over the place. Yeah.
2: Yeah, kicking
0: out the Central European University, for yeah, example. Exactly. As well, right? Yeah,
3: and calling it the Soros University and you know kicking out and like really the anti. it's really an anti-Semitic discourse that he's using because he's equating also Soros with like this kind of cosmopolitan liberalism. It's kind of like the Judeo-Bolshevik, right? Judeo-Bolshevik. Yeah. Mm. So it's like really classical anti-Semitic discourse. And it's okay because because um, to to be buddies with Netanyahu, because first of all he admires Netanyahu, and, set- and the other side of the coin is that Netanyahu admires Orban for being hard on Soros, because he's also you know he also hates hates John Soros. John Soros finances finances coexistence uh, and like groups in Israel Palestine. You know even they like even liberal coexistence groups are are too radical for netanyahu you know like oh human goodness. rights uh, <laughs> watching groups and stuff like that he also finances i think some things in the west bank i mean he like his i, I shouldn't say he finances it like his he, you know his his foundations and and and, and the stuff um, yeah
0: they have a presence
3: yeah yeah but like and, and this is why you know netanyahu also hates soros so that's why it's, it's like it's consistent um i think netanyahu's son even like tweeted something anti-semitic against solo so it's like and yes, this is really what yeah. people. He said it's yeah, all yeah. about Soros. Yeah. yeah. What people need to understand, like, like there, there is something like Jewish fascism now today in this world. It exists, and it's, it's not a contradiction. Unfortunately, it's not. Yeah, unfortunately, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's and 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 the problem is with more and more people. You know, and I think in the UK it's not as bad, but in Austria and Germany there's this bizarre sub culture on the left which it's not actually a subculture it's the majority of the left i would say is (laughs) pro-israel like radically pro-israel they will they're like rallying behind Mm. netanyahu because they think this is the right thing to do against for like that's certainly the the, the uk that's
2: certainly certainly what what the uk sort of like... like centrist centrist liberal Liberal parties tend to do yeah Yeah,
3: but not the left-wing not the left-wing movements and here it really is like the the you know grassroots left-wing social movements or like the autonomous antifa in austria they're like (laughs) pro-israel like really pro-israel and this is how (laughs) messy we call it it's called the anti-deutsche you know it comes from germany it's the anti-deutsche they're so anti-germany that they love israel as like and it's like, you know, like the the image of like the Jews should have a state now and because of the Holocaust. So it's like there's really something. Yeah, it's very complex what's going on. I mean, there's, there's like some unresolved collective guilt of the Holocaust being channeled into this. Yeah.
2: But at the same time, we, we've we apologized for it by doing a bit of colonialism. Well, you know.
0: yeah, that's it. Yeah, it it's yeah. Like we are relocating our anti-Semitism, right? We're not reflecting on it and no. realizing these these people are our people as well you know they are a part of europe's history they're saying no no, no put them back <laughs> over there it's you know you if you just sort of sweep it under the carpet and never have to talk about it again yeah
3: and that's the other thing of it is i think it's just like also it prevents us from actually having a good conversation about anti-semitism and yes. and it's like it's like it's like because the the dynamic of anti semitism in Europe, it's also like it's it's quite complex, and it, it's it it's you know people say it's it's cyclical. Um, it it's it's cyclical in the sense, not in the sense that it can always come back up and down again, but there's like a dialectic going on, and and it depends on like current hegemonies that are being established, and currently um like my jewish community like the jewish community for example in austria but i i more in most like western european countries is is you know allied with the with the with the christian hegemonic um like hegemonic interest groups but i mean that's 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 not that's not gonna be like that forever because like it it it, it wasn't always like that and and it 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 can't really be like that forever because because Jews are are never really integrated into into the national community. Like as long as there's this, you know, as long as there's ethno nationalism and it's even part of you know even like just yeah, it's just part of the nation states that we live in. Like it's not it doesn't need a right wing populist party to be ethno nationalist. It's just like even the centrist parties that it's kind of yes. in the political fabric that that you know there's there's like it's a national community yeah there's a national community and 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 Jews are not not um not fully part of it and never never will be fully part of it so i think it's that's why it's like um understanding this dynamic is like it's then it's not just a moral imperative to to have solidarity with other minorities or like with with muslims for example in europe mm-hmm. today who are like very much um I think very much like the dominant racism is going against like Muslims and against refugees, I, I would say today. Um, but, but it's, uh, it's, it's not, so it's not just about like being good or like a, a moral imperative, but I think it's like for, for Jews, it's, it's kind of like essential to, to also like secure Jewish life in Europe to fight yeah all forms of racism because we we we're, we're kind of like we're stuck in the, in the in the dialectic just on the other side of it somehow you know so it's yeah, like outside looking in yeah so this is definitely like the this yeah it's like the the same the same forces that that will um that will even even just like use Jews the Jewish minority in Europe or 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 use Israel against muslim like uh, muslim europeans or against uh, refugees coming they're they're also gonna destroy jewish life in, in europe i i think so and also it and it's also the same force um it's the same kind of ethno-nationalist ideology that is taking place in israel and that's why i do think that like israeli right-wing nationalism is a danger to jewish life yeah. in europe they,
0: they they learned it from us yeah yeah
3: they, yeah, yeah they, they did <laughs> from our white supremacy yeah no they, they definitely did yeah there's this fascinating um author that i i, I once interviewed her she's a french um decolonial thinker uria bouteja i don't know if you've mm. heard of her she's very like was very controversial actually in in france because she wrote this book called jews the, the whites and like Jews, whites, and us, or something like that, and it's written from like this decolonial perspective. Um, she's a French Algerian, I think, and she's basically it's basically a manifesto saying, you know, the Jews they were whitened when when they were given Israel by the British. Yeah,
4: yeah um, that's that's yeah. a pretty succinct. And
3: it's a, it's a pretty good analysis because it actually like in in. In Algeria, that literally happened when because the French uh, like Jewish Algerians they were Algerian um they were just they were Arabs <laughs> they were just as yeah. Arab as Muslim Algerians, but the French gave them at some point gave them French citizenship and then like you know created this this um middle middle man class um among among the the colonized um people in algeria and whitened them in that way and this was really what's what's been going on also so i i don't know i mean she's you know very controversial figure um i just think this is such a it's just like such a because i think yeah her book was written a bit polemically or something but it's it's great it's a great read and especially this i think this is a really interesting thought that like yeah, it, it made it made Jews white to also have an and an, like an ethno state of their own and also being able to oppress other people in 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 our ethno state yeah,
2: yeah this I mean this certainly seems to be a, a concurrent theme running through it I I would make the argument that that seems to be a, a, a a fairly common theme of just like oh these people we don't consider white because we're, we're superior to them and then s- some series of events happens and eventually the colonial powers at the time go oh actually no we've reconsidered you oh, are right. white now yeah and, uh because, because you're you're, you're, going you're going to be useful people. to us in some nebulous way in order to either otherwise po- others po- yeah. yeah politically or culturally you know you will be important to us ergo you are now white it it it's it it's so wild, but I yeah I can I can really see the point that this author is making because yeah
3: yeah there were a lot yeah. of these like um colonial kind of middle middle groups castes, right almost, middle right? castes yeah, yeah yeah I think like also like 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 in like East in the Africa I was Wasn't just gonna say yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, like late eighteen hundreds India and the yeah caste exactly oh right. yeah. boy yeah. yeah. that also oh yeah God. but I think Still also like. Today.
3: Uh, Indians in I don't think was it was it West Africa um yes yeah yes. yeah I think yeah. Indians in West Africa were like the the also like kind of like the administrative middle uh like yeah middle caste
0: Or was it East Hang on. Yeah
3: <laughs> I am also <laughs> not I remember this is embarrassing. We did this last episode Maybe it's
0: we did uh, a yeah, yeah we, oh, we did a slave, slave trade Oh, that. Yeah. that was oh, well. that was that was Halfway bad. through the episode I I told uh, Spectre I was like wait do you mean you mean West, West Africa, Africa, right? No. <laughs> and <they were> like, <laughs> yeah.
2: And they're like, "Yeah, right, yeah." <laughs> it's, it's, please forgive me, my sins. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, there's. I think again, especially in, in the UK, there's this real strong. Uh, talking about like the sort of building of a caste system that there's there's this real strong reliance on it almost to justify oh, our yeah. own horrible history like oh it wasn't so bad just ask these people it's Like, but those pe- particular <laughs> people are the ones that, that we use like what no you don't ask you don't ask the arsonist how good the fire is you know like yeah. come yeah. on true true
0: true well, you also see that in the, the far-right movement in the UK as well. You see, like, um, the EDL um, have, um, you know, the the, uh, the Jewish division and the Sikh division in order to, um, oh yeah, combat the... The, um, the argument that they're racist. The Muslims. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they say, yeah, we've got a Sikh division. Well, what's, what's the problem?
3: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's... Yeah, exactly. That's kind of like... Uh... Yeah, on the one hand obviously it's tokenism and on the other hand it's also just consistent if there are if there are like consistent ethno nationalists or like fascist movements in those in those minorities which which there are yes so yeah
2: indeed then it's well i mean the conservative party kind of, is yeah. doing exactly yeah. that right now with their <laughs> new sort of committee on uh, racial inequality and the person oh heading it is someone who the person who's heading it is just someone who actively denies that there is any such thing as racial inequality in the uk and it's like are you fucking kidding me <laughs> yeah
3: and i think i think it's also kind of lacking from like the problem is also that um there's this racist assumption that you know all, all Jews need to think the same or all all mm-hmm. Muslims are all Sikhs. yeah and that's like also just not understanding that there are class divisions and and like political divisions among um among these communities and that's also uh, going back to like my, my my music project what I tried to do with also like highlighting this history of the yiddish speaking proletariats who were you know like they they didn't care about Jewish unity <laughs> or any any of that bullshit that people are talking about today, you know? They were like just they were they were angry proletarians. Angry workers, yeah, yeah, angry workers. They were angry at, like and 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 like you shouldn't pretend, you know, the the so often the factory owners were also Jews who were speaking Yiddish. So it's like it's, like it's not like it's not like it's not like Yiddish was the language of of the working class and 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 and, and that's it, like, there, there, there were class divisions there, so I, I think it's important to highlight it, and that's why, you know, I, I like to make the point, I like it when people assume that because I'm Jewish, I have this kind of connection to Yiddish, and this is somehow my history, and then I'm like, no, actually not, I come from a super bourgeois Jewish background, my family spoke Hungarian and Hungarian only, and the worst thing you could do was just, like, you know, throw in a word of Yiddish or something, that was, like, the, the lowest class thing you could ever do, like, in 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 Hungary it, or like among Hungarian Jews, it was really a class division thing. And 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 it's yeah, I like to to make this point to kind of like to to shatter these assumptions of 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 cultural homogeneity, which really go quite deep. I mean, I also have them about a lot of other other ethnic groups. But so like, mm-hmm. I think that's that's a lot of what like anti racist work or like I don't know yeah is doing is actually shattering all these these uh these assumptions which are racist actually quite quite racist yeah. assumptions
0: yeah yeah But that requires yeah um a real desire and uh willpower to self-reflect and you know deconstruct your own um biases and um the material circumstances that you've grown up in as well of course mm. uh, very uh yeah, um tiring procedure Yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah, it's tiring, and
3: then yeah, but it's also I don't know I don't think it's so.
0: I mean, it's rewarding to to
3: understand that, like, that's like it's like a more more base even even just like on a more basic level, just like understanding that, like, yeah, it's. it's not like people exist out there in the world with with their distinct cultures and they belong to a distinct cultural group like that's not how cult- culture works and i i think
2: no, yeah it's it's not a clubhouse you know you know yeah <laughs> exactly
3: and that's and that's just like yeah like giving granting people the complexities of their of their identity and like giving you know, granting the space the, for the contradictions and and, and I don't think it's so it's so difficult to do. It just requires a bit of yeah a bit of stepping back, and it's like the one of the more basic anti-racist work people can do. You know, it's like yeah. you can go it you can go way deeper. I mean, it's like these these structures of oppression go go so deep in our in our consciousness, whether it's racism and white supremacy or like patriarchy, and so. Yeah, I think you can go very, very deep in, in deconstructing these different normativities. But that's like a more basic, basic level, I think. Of
0: course, yeah. But it, it's, it's you know, uh, it's so hard to market to the privileged as well.
1: Mm.
0: To you know, sort of say maybe you should take a step back and reflect on your own identity and what your position in society is and how you got there and what sort of impact you're having on other people you know the 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 um those with a platform those with a voice and those with the the capital to um make lasting changes um are often the least likely to do any of this right i mean myself included you know, i was a fucking um annoying
1: you know atheist liberal until um, <laughs>
0: until second year of college right yes. i was Saying, "Oh, why are these bloody communists striking over privatisation? What's the yeah. point of that?" You know, oh, such yeah, a pain that's... in the arse. I have to walk five
2: minutes extra. Oh. You were like, you were like that, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh,
0: Oh, one hundred percent. I was a Lib Dem voting, fucking. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, I was. I was not much better. So, but yeah, there's how how do we reach these people and sort of say, look, you, like because the I think the journey that I, certainly that you and I took was much much longer, and it almost feels like we don't have that time now we need to we need people to sort of realize kind of quickly I, I don't know yeah
3: i mean i do i do think like i i was surprised now also at this wave of protests that was happening of like, yes. uh, black lives matter mm. around oh i mean what i was even more like i was you know very very um amazed by what was happening in the u s and following it very closely and and uh, but then but but then also what what really um, amazed me as someone living in Europe was where the the solidarity protests and the size of them yeah. and and like you know in 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 Holland for example but also in Austria where I mean there's not a a common widespread anti racist consciousness it's just not nope. it wasn't there Nothing. it wasn't there and like an like a, an analysis of it 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 was very in Holland it was so. Um, marginal, <laughs> you know yeah, the whole. it's the always whole, well. We're, we're not the discussion. UK. We're not yeah.
0: um, America, so we're fine. Yeah, we're great. Exactly.
3: Yeah, and so and so. This was really um, incredible. Yeah, I, I felt like there there was still even even in the left, even in the organized left, still so much, so many blind spots. So much like colorblindness ideology so much mm, discomfort God. of talking about racism and then and and very little understanding of racism as a structural issue and suddenly mm-hmm. with these protests you like with you know centering police violence and police brutality it's really it's not because because the whole movement is not about these individual case it's not framed in terms of like these are individual cases and individual bad apples it's like really framing it as a structural issue and I, I do, you know, maybe I'm, an, I'm, tend to be optimistic about social movements. <laughs> My um, like one spark of hope in this world. And then I'm like, yeah. oh wow, this is like, this is amazing that suddenly this, this analysis takes hold here, which I, I, I didn't really see happening before. And yeah, I, I, do hope that like, you know, the the younger generations of activists or whatever, like, yeah, just the people. Uh, active now have like a different or like in the future a different understanding of of racism as a as a structure and the question is of course what we spoke said earlier like how much is one thing of having an analysis of racism as a structure it's another as seeing yourself as part of this structure and that's really like the more tiring work uh, that needs to be done in terms of anti-racism which is really introspective and understanding your your own racism and your own privileges and, 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 you know, doing the work that, yeah. I I think,
2: I think there's, there's seems to be quite a, almost a reluctance to to get to that point for a lot of people um, who are say ostensibly on the left um, because they sort of get wrapped up in this feeling that uh, so, so something like racism is a personal failing and not just a systemic issue. And it's that, that, almost unwillingness to recognize that the, that's the step that you take because it's more comfortable saying oh i'm not racist because i personally am not racist ergo there is no problem but that the sort of failure to recognize that there is a systemic issue is what causes the problem it's like no, no no it's not that you are personally not racist it's that the system under which you were born and have been brought up in is and that's the issue yeah and the fact that
3: the fact that if you if you if you don't know the system exists and Mm. you're just like participating in the system without seeing it you're not doing anything against it you are you are on the kind of on the oppressor's side and that's kind of the i think the lesson Mm. from it like that is it's not just enough to, to see it or to understand it it's also like yeah once you understand it you have to kind of stand up against it somehow
2: yeah the sort of hype the hyper individualism of, of like uh yeah. ne- neoliberalism has really <laughs> destroyed people's brains
3: yeah 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 no that's true yeah it's yeah it's difficult yeah this whole ideology of like yeah i'm i'm not a racist because i don't think this <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, or yeah. that I yeah, yeah. and i mean really the same with with sexism and patriarchy i mean yeah yeah, yeah, saying, yeah so totally. op- and like i was thinking you know like I, i'm like i'm so impressed by the black lives matter movement and i was like how 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 amazing would it have been if like for example me too would have been like a movement that oh. was on the streets like that you know fighting oh, would have been so fighting um, sexual like um, harassment and, and and assault on like a, as a systemic issue and not as like yes. you know lock up the rapist yeah get that one
2: guy out in jail Oh, Isabel, you're making me nostalgic for a thing we never had.
3: <laughs> right, and I mean, and then I realized it. It like uh, it is also happening, right? Like I mean, with the women's strikes in South America and Latin America. I mean, I think that's really what like these these mass movements against like femicides and 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 violence against women. That it's it it is happening there. But I was like, oh yeah, with like me too. That would have been, that that and that's I think that's where I see the achievement of Black Lives Matter of like turning turning these these singular events into into um a, like into a social movement fighting a structural issue and that's like an incredible i mean you know that's why this whole that that, that required so much work for for a, a long time that's like um
0: yeah. decades and decades yeah. and centuries of violence
3: yeah and 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 a lot of and a lot of organizing required to to make it and that's kind of what me too never managed to do because it stayed a a hashtag and like a media a mediatized thing you know so it's like but i mean it's, in in a way it's it's about like a similar dynamic where you have i mean it's not about it's not about um murders in in the sense but it's about like like individuals you know violence being exercised through a structure but but enacted through individuals that need to be held accountable and then it's kind of staying in this um, discourse of like the evil the evil men rapists and yeah
0: yeah yeah but but it's also its own like monetizable headline as well right oh this celebrity did yeah. you know yeah. this, uh, yeah. sexual yeah. crime and yeah. then it becomes all oh, gossip rather than it's this this wow, like, yeah what a the, fucked the, the, system the...
2: you know the, the, the motive of of profit in spectacle is is yeah. just overrides it to a point where it it becomes very easy for opposition to it either systemic opposition or opposition on a misunderstanding of, of what the critique is to sort of bleakly point out going oh well this is all identity politics yeah, or oh this is yeah. oh this is all just you know people being too demanding it's like no 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 you you, you don't understand that they're, they're doing they're doing the thing that should be being done not as well as they could be being done, yeah. which is why you have a problem with it. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think when people maybe realize that, you know, the reason why, I, I think that's, that's to, a, to an extent at least um, what has helped mobilize so many people around uh, both, the, both the Black Lives Matter protests and the solidarity protests that have come after is the sort of realization of like, oh, well, the, the, the thing that's causing this problem is also the same thing that's causing problems elsewhere. Uh, and maybe we should address that because that seems to be a bigger by ish, single issue rather than, you know, lots of very small atomized issues that are all hyper personal to every individual involved.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like all the all the instances that were not filmed or that are not like mediatized also. Mm,
0: yeah. yeah, think. Yeah, think. Of all these specific anecdotes that we've witnessed, these horrifying um, images and videos online, think about how much has not been videoed or has been covered up, yeah. or you know, um, people being secretly murdered. You know, like it's it's totally within the realms of possibility for a police department, be that in the U. There U.S. or be that in Europe.
3: Yeah, for sure. And then it's it's a, it's it's really a challenge of. Um of then you know taking these these individual mediatized events and not allowing the the right wing to kind of take it apart and ask like oh but maybe was this justified or something like that which is happening you know which happens with like police murders of of black people usually i mean in the case of george floyd that was like one one case where it was really clear cut where like yeah, no one even <laughs> dared to, or the people still did, you know. Yeah. But, but, yeah, um, I mean, but it, like, it, didn't, it didn't stop them trying. Yeah, it didn't stop them from sure. trying. Yeah. That's even right. then, you don't, Saying, do, yeah.
0: Oh, he had a cocaine on his lips or, you know, underlying health conditions, blah, exactly, blah, blah.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, Ooh. and it's the same with, with, uh, with charges of sexual assault. Then it's always about, mm. like, oh, is this, yes, maybe the woman lying or what was she wearing? Or it's like, yeah. and it's all like, it's all these things, uh, yeah, going into it. So it's really, um,
2: You have to try and throw uh, anything that could possibly discredit it, whether it be whether whether it be even remotely feasible at all, just to at least muddy the water enough for some people to go. "Mm, Hmm. I don't know, because you don't have to convince them that the person making the accusation is wrong. You just kind of have to make enough people question it, right? Yeah, exactly.
3: So then, that's really the the challenge for for social movements to to. Um, fight that and and abstract it enough and bring it to this systemic level, which is hard to grasp and it's hard to organize around. So I really think it's actually an, it's an incredible achievement, and we should um, understand. Yeah, and we should also yeah. like understand what made what made it so powerful and and really organize. Like learn learn from it, you know, learn 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 from this movement of how 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 it actually manages to to organize a a movement bring people on the streets connect their own personal experiences to this like systemic issue i mean this is really what's like yeah it's like the 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 dream of like communists of like building class consciousness kind of you know that's kind of like the Mm. the the, the dream right and that's really what (laughs) what we should be
2: Every every small win, and every every small victory is uh, improved upon by all of the ones that have come before it, kind of thing. You know. Mm. I was I was speaking. Uh, this is sort of a bit unrelated, but um, kind of similar to what you just said there, um, MJC. Like I was speaking to a friend of mine uh, yesterday, saying, "Yeah, that's I think that's why people find it so easy." to be you know, sort of fall in with the right wing and conservatives because it's easy to be wrong it's really hard to <laughs> be right oh that's a
3: good that's a really good uh yeah like <laughs> it, it's hard to boring. be right I because like you have it.
2: to constantly analyze what's going on and understand the circumstances and the context whereas being wrong is like yeah no i'm just saying this because i that's what i believe is that like, yeah but that doesn't make it right i i think you know it's almost that I don't want to say laziness, but the sort of unwillingness to just go, ah, well, I don't want to have to think about that, so I'm just not going to.
3: But I mean, and then I think this again, like, points to the... Yeah. It, but I, I don't think, I don't think, like... I, ideally you know not everyone should should have to be doing this work all the time like ideally we wouldn't be yeah. constantly bombarded with false information and political propaganda and mm-hmm. and these you know contradictions in in our mind like ideally we would have um, yeah better better tools to to think about them and I, I think that's again maybe like where this idea of like consciousness raising comes in I guess that it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like as if we were doing fundamental research for like left wing social movements. It's like trying to build, a, um, you know, like do this very like fundamental analysis and build a vocabulary and then it's out there and then people can organize around it. And yeah, I think that's that's what I mean. That's I guess what what the what the work is that Black Lives Matter has been doing, building on the civil rights movement, obviously, and building on the 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 long tradition of of anti racist movements in in the U S. and and and. But I mean, this is what what they've been doing for the for the past years, and this is really what's made this movement successful today is because there there is there are these these discourses out there now and they're, they're positions that can be taken up by people and and like just you know suddenly make sense <laughs> anyway, and yeah, I mean like probably the way we were all politicized we we also didn't like think everything for ourselves <laughs> right I mean that that would require so much work but just like also got got some good pieces of of political analysis and then we're able to piece them together so. Yeah, I think it's like a, it's like also just like a a war being fought out in terms of like ideas, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. I think I, I think, once, I think once, the right once, wing once was just got very strong sets. on it, uh, was very strong with it um, in the past decades, and this is what makes our particular epoch a bit difficult. <laughs> is that the right wing? They have like very very strong, yeah, they have some very strong narratives of like ethnic purity and yeah it's like
2: yeah mythology which people like stories don't they and you know they sort of latch onto them
3: yeah
2: they uh we just have to make sure our story sounds a lot better
3: (laughs) yeah and i think it it definitely can i mean because also first of all because it's not because it's right (laughs) because well yeah because it's not it's It's not grounded in some (laughs) of some like fantasy um but, yeah, but it but we do make to, need to make sure we have good good stories <laughs> that make sense.
0: Yeah. And we start with uh, the we're, memes. We're,
2: we're <laughs> coming up on uh, the two-hour point of oh, recording. Oh, yeah, wow. Just to let you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's a good conversation. <laughs> I'm enjoying hell. it so much. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just looked at the time. I was like, oh, is that is that right? Oh, oh yeah, shit, yes. <laughs> oh,
0: my goodness. Isabel, this has been um, incredible, really.
3: Yeah, it's been very fun. I, I, it's my first podcast that I do like this, and it's, it's really nice. Yeah. Well, actually, really? it's the first time I'm being interviewed really? oh, for a podcast. Fantastic. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, oh, it's, it's I, been I was a interviewed a one honor, time honestly. before, but, but this was definitely, yeah. Like, then mm-hmm. it was different. Then I was just like interviewed, and then snippets were taken, I think. But this is really fun. <laughs>
0: A full breakdown. Good,
2: good. Well, we'd we'd that's love to have you fantastic. on at any time as well. You're always
0: welcome. Yeah, sure.
3: Back. Thank you. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's
2: nice. it's been fantastic. Yeah. It's been absolutely wonderful having you on. Thank you. Oh, I was going to ask you. Um, <laughs> um,
0: sure, I don't <laughs> have. I don't
3: have. I'm not stressed. I don't
0: have any. No, sorry. Um, no, it's, it's just a quick one. Um, I I I don't know if you actually heard of him. You know, that's quite some, uh, presumptuous. But what's your favorite favorite um, Daniel Kahn song?
1: oh <laughs>
3: yeah i have heard of him he was like my my big idol when i got into yiddish uh, music yeah. i mean i yeah to be on obviously kind of the no obviously the Albert march which was um oh, of course yeah the march of the, the jobless March court. of the jobless yeah, which is, is also one of the first songs but actually the first song that i played on guitar that i learned on guitar and i loved his mm-hmm. version yeah and this is kind of the song that started it all <laughs> um And I, I kind of inspired by his, um, like him, him translating. But it's not just a translation; it's like a rewriting. Um, and I also wrote a German version of that. So that's fun. Yes, had to listen to that. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's fun. Inspired
0: by that, right? Cool. Yeah,
3: yeah. So I do love that. Yeah, I met him last last summer in Canada, like this international, like Yiddish work. Workshop, festival, retreats—that uh, was really nice. Um, yeah, the, like the international Yiddish world, it's not so big, so it's
0: <laughs> a cool community. <laughs> it's where right, all the cool yeah. people are. Yeah, yeah.
3: It's also it's grown together a lot during the lockdown. It's amazing. I mean, I think that's like for a community that is usually separated by by space, by like oceans and stuff like that, because of kind of like, it's like a really diasporic movement. Um, It's been incredible having like, yeah, time in lockdown and and computers and suddenly all these things are happening. Um,
0: You can suddenly have a gig together, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
3: People have been having gigs. Yeah, they're they're like, twice a month now, there's like a Yiddish song gig going on from like different parts of the world in in like English and in Russian and it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's really amazing. Um
0: amazing. has um what's his name? Pso- I can never pronounce his name. So like Psoik- um. Yes. Yeah. He <laughs> yeah, do yeah. it straight away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, he's also amazing.
2: Did you have uh anything that you wanted to plug or uh or sort of advertise at all, Isabel?
3: Um, I'm thinking, I mean, I have, well, I have this, uh, I have like a, a a crowdfunding going on for my first album, (laughs) but it's only, it's only going for another four days. And I don't know when, when this is going to come out.
0: (laughs) I can, I can hyperdrive this.
2: Um, (laughs)
0: Fuck fuck episode seven. All right. This is episode seven now. (laughs)
2: episode seven is the new episode four as in it's not being released for another month yeah. <laughs> hey guys you know also... venezuela had a coup <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
4: um, yeah i
2: can get it have you got, have oh, you got a, wow. a link to that at all that you can cool. drop in the i do the i chat. do have
3: a link yeah yeah um and it's uh yeah it's there's four days to go or i think three days to go um and it's yeah it's already fully funded which is awesome but i'm still like happy for any additional support also to like for the crowdfunding cost, which I didn't calculate into, oh, no. and, 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 and to maybe, yeah. like, everything extra, you know, like, goes into paying musicians better wages, which is nice, and, and, like, yeah, supporting me as a part, so if anyone wants to, like, pre-purchase CDs and you get them signed and sent with a postcard, so that's, it's it's nice, if, if yeah, that's a nice way to, to support me right now. Um, otherwise, do I have anything to plug? Um... Yeah, not really. I mean, otherwise, yeah, just maybe my my website, www.isabelfry.com. Fry with an Y, and Isabel with one L only. And I have a Facebook page, and I, yeah, I I sometimes just, like, it's not just music stuff. I sometimes just post, like, yeah, thoughts on (laughs) politics. Yeah, you
0: you sent your uh, first newsletter
3: recently, eh? I sent my first reason this letter. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, we got. But that. I didn't. Re- <laughs> I didn't really write write so much about about. Yeah, I, I still have to get think about how, how I want to actually do that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, sure. I'll I'll share the the link to the crowdfunding.
0: Amazing. Thank you. I'll you'll definitely get a fan, pitch from me. Fantastic.
2: Yeah. Same. Oh this is this is this has been absolutely fantastic.
3: Yeah, thank you. man. Yeah, it's been really really cool, really fun.
0: Thank thank you so much, um Isabel. We cannot thank you enough, really. <laughs> no uh, thank yeah. you for the great great <laughs> I feel like I've
2: learned a lot, honestly. Jeez. Oh well,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you. Got got more than we bargained for, I think. <laughs>
2: Just frantically looking through the list of questions going, no, no, she's answered that one already. No, is- <laughs> yeah, that has gone, that has gone.
4: Uh-
2: <laughs> well,
3: and we still managed to talk for two hours, so then...
2: <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening to You Are Not Immune. This has been a wonderful episode. Uh, very enlightening for both myself and MJC. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, Isabel. Thank you very much. And we, we would love to have you on again at some time. Yeah, any time, honestly. And with all that said, just remember, <laughs> what you are <laughs> not immune is that our catchphrase. Yeah, now? MJC, you're Swiss. To... <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't have immune. to be the catchphrase.
0: You are not immune.
2: Wow. Okay, all of that part's getting cut out. I mean, I stopped recording. I'll have you? Oh, okay. <laughs> that
0: was tragic. <laughs>
2: that was that part was a car crash.
1: Städte und Länder, Fahrer, Haifälle verschwender. Unser Leunder, fahre es was Hunger, und arbetlos Hunger, und arbetlos Eins, zwei, drei, vier Arbeitslose, das sind wir schon seit Wochen kein Gehalt. Der Kühlschrank leer die Wohnung kalt und wir kriegen keine Posten, während die Maschinen rosten. Drum stolzieren wir durch die Stadt, als wären wir im Aufsichtsrat, als wären wir im Aufsichtsrat. Eins, zwei, drei, vier. Arbeitslose, das sind wir. Ohne Hemd und ohne Dach. Die Straße ist das Schlafgemach. Doch wir teilen was wir haben. Ist es aus dem Müll gegraben? Lasst den Bobos ihren Wein. Wasser schmeckt genauso fein. Wasser schmeckt genauso fein. Eins, zwei, drei, vier. Das sind wir. Hackeln schwer bis zur Pension, nur für einen Hungerlohn. Häuser, Schlösser, ja, ganze Länder gehören der Klasse der Verschwender. Die sind nicht reicht um ihren Pflanz, sondern unserem Arbeitsschweiß, sondern unserem Arbeitsschweiß. Armen, Arm marschieren wir Während die Arbeitslosenquote steigt Der Sozialstaat sich dem Ende neigt Träumen wir von einer Welt Ohne Lohnarbeit und ohne Geld Ohne Grenzen, ohne Bundesheer Und keine Arbeitslosen mehr Keine Arbeitslosen mehr Eins, zwei, drei, vier Und das so marschieren wir Arbeitslose tritt durch Tritt Und wir singen sie ein Lied Von der Land auf Welt Arbeitlose gehen schon Hand in dem neuen freien Land.